Uh, this is our 10th lesson, and uh, we're covering two chapters tonight, so buckle your seatbelts. Back to that. Uh, sort of the plan for the last few weeks of the class. Uh, Lord willing, we'll do chapters uh, 13 and 14 tonight. Uh, next week, we'll try to do 15 and 16. Wednesday the 23rd, that's the night before Thanksgiving, we will not meet. And then uh, the following Wednesday, the 30th, will be our final class, and we'll do chapter 17 on that night. Um, so that's kind of the... Actually, just have after tonight, we'll just have uh, two more classes. So crazy. Yeah, going really fast. Um, so chapters 13 and 14 tonight. Uh, and so, yeah, you've got your notes there. Um, we'll try to move quickly through them. Chapters 13 and 14 address uh, commitment number five, which you see there at the top of your notes. We will deal with our differences with appreciation and grace. We will deal with our differences with appreciation and grace. So uh, that's what chapters 13 and 14 touch on. So as he begins to talk about how we deal with our differences, he starts with the fact that um, you're going to face differences in your marriage. I know that sounds like an obvious point, but sometimes we get into this like thinking that I'm going to marry this person and they're going to figure out that my way of doing life is the best and they're just kind of going to get on board with me. Um, and we would never say that out loud, but we sort of function that way. And then when a difference of perspective comes up and it's kind of like, oh, you view it the wrong way? Okay, well, let me tell you the right way to view it and then you can get on board with me. Um, so what he begins with is just a reminder that there's a creator who made us all and uh, like we see in creation all around us, uh, he's made us all different. Right? There are no two humans that are exactly alike. Even identical twins have little differences about them uh, in ways that you can you know, tell them apart. Nobody's exactly the same. Uh, you even look at other aspects of creation, not just humans, you know, whether it's trees or snowflakes or mountains. You know, there's just no exact replication out there. God uh, is a varied God in the way he makes things, and there's beauty in that. Right? He's made us differently with purpose. Now think about that. We are fallen. We, we know, we understand that. Um, but it's not our fallenness that makes your spouse different than you, right? Um, the reason your spouse is different than you is actually part of God's good design. First and foremost, as man and woman, right? That's an important difference that God designed as part of his good creation. But beyond that, even personality traits and uh, the shape of your body, length of your nose and length of your neck, size of your ears, like all these things are part of, you know, God's design. Now, again, you, as you get into the more details, some of those things are affected by our fallenness, but um, God is our designer, and there's a reason that we're different. And so that's a, a, an important starting point. He calls this the artist of your marriage. God created you and your spouse. And he begins to get into the fact that we really don't have a whole lot of control over things. We think we do, but we really don't. This is a great quote. 
You know that your life has not worked according to your plan. Last month didn't work according to your plan. Last week didn't work according to your plan. And some of you are a bit ruffled as you read this because you are being confronted with the reality that yesterday or even today didn't go according to your plan. We just don't control our lives. When it comes to marriage, you didn't do it. And the sooner you come to understand what this means, the better. Yes, you made decisions along the way, and the decisions were very important and left a trail of consequences, but there's something even more foundational going on, and when you understand it, you'll have a new understanding of the struggle of marriage and what to do about it. So uh, the sovereignty of God is important. God has brought us together. God has put us here. Those two quotations are from page uh, 232, if you're tracking along with that. So then, how does God as our designer, our artist, how does that help us with our differences? How does it actually help us to work past the ways a husband and a wife might be different? First of all, he encourages us to celebrate your creator. Celebrate your creator. Remembering that God has designed your spouse. And yes, there are aspects of that that are, are fallen, affected by the, the, the sin curse on the world. Same with you, right? And yet, God has designed your spouse. And the little nuances of his or her personality and uh, the things they enjoy and you know, the length of their arms and so on and so forth, you could go. God has designed this person. Uh, and so give honor and glory to the Creator. You know, this is, we talked about this in our identity class a couple months ago, that um, because we bear God's image, there's a degree of respect that we owe one another to the glory of God because He's our artist, He's our designer. Number two, re refuse to see differences as right or wrong. So as we're talking about differences in a marriage, we're not talking about you know, just blatant sin, right? Uh, one of you commits murder and the other thinks murder is wrong. Uh, okay, so, well, we, I guess we have a difference of perspective. No, 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 no. The Bible is very clear on those things, right? So the Word of God does point some things out that are right or wrong. Um, but when a husband and wife say, well, I don't really like uh, blue chairs, right? And, and the other one says, well... I love blue chairs, right? And there's a difference there. Uh, we're not talking about moral things. Now, those moral things uh, are important, but as we think about this, we're talking about um, out, not moral things. Part of like how he, the way he uses it in the book is the things that are hardwired into us. Um, whether, you know, our physical features, our personality traits, uh, introvert, extrovert, uh, mechanical, analytical, relational, emotional, you know, all those things that we can get into. And there's, there's a degree of change that we can grow in in each of those categories, but to some degree, aspects of those are sort of hardwired into us. So, illustration I'll use a number of times uh, tonight. Uh, my wife and I have a difference in that um, I'm more of a morning person and it takes her a little longer to wake up in the morning. Vice versa, I usually hit a wall at night. Uh, and, you know, it's like, all right, well, my day's done. Let's head to bed. And, you know, that's sometimes when she can perk up and want to do things and want to, you know, talk or whatever else. And so we're different. And it's not morally right or wrong, is it? Uh, they're just different ways. Now, we can become self-righteous and I can, you know, 
I can try to impose upon her, well, if you were more mature, you would be a morning person, right? No, but it's not, it's not that way. It really isn't. Um, it's just a difference. And you can think of those kinds of things uh, in your spouse's life. He says this on page 235, when you begin to think and act as though your hard wiring makes you better, more mature, or more righteous than your spouse, you will act and respond in ways that are dismissive and disrespectful. So our differences are not about right and wrong. They're just different and to, to learn to appreciate those things. That brings us to number three. Determine to respond to your differences with appreciation and respect. We're used to being impatient or even derogatory with each other's differences. Um, and he actually points out that those responses are more about our relationship with God. If we really respected our creator and the way he made our spouse, we would be more patient and more respectful with the differences that are sort of hardwired into us. Um, and so I thought that was a helpful thing that he pointed out. Number four, learn where your differences create difficulty and call yourself to unification work. All right, so let's just do an experiment here um, just for fun. What are some things that you've encountered in your relationship that you, where you're different from your spouse? And we're not getting into, you know, we're not insulting our spouses here, but just kind of lighthearted things that you have found that are different than your spouse. What are some examples you can come up with? Yeah. I'm not as attuned to my emotions. Okay. Andrew is not as connected to his emotions as Tiffany is. Well done. Okay, good, good. What else? Yeah. Leo likes this coffee when you put the cups. I like the coffee that you can put. Ah, okay. So different kinds of coffee preferences. Excellent. Good. What else? <coughs> wow, you're all the same. That's amazing. My idea of having a fun Saturday is getting a bunch of house projects done. Ah. Okay, yeah, good, good example. What's relaxing and what's fun? Those can be very different, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, Tim. Got a tendency to be more indecisive when making purchases. Yeah. Kind of research more than my wife would. Yeah, good. I just call that careful. That's my positive reflection on myself, yeah. So <laughs> I resonate with you on that one, Tim. Slow to make decisions, some would say. Yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah, Scott. I was going to say whenever I make something, bake something or whatever, it's better if it's more complicated. Rebecca likes to be more efficient. Yeah, yeah. So complexity versus efficiency and different priorities there. Good. Yeah, these are great examples. So, I mean, we really could go on and on. Like, the, uh, there are often far more differences between two people than there are things that are exactly the same, right? And that's not a bad thing. So here's what I want you to begin to think about now as you think about those differences. A lot of those things, in some contexts, can really be strengths, right? 
in the right situation, in the right setting, it's like, wow, that was built for you, and that's really a strength in this setting. In a different setting, it could be viewed as a weakness, right? So you could pick a lot of those different things that we, we just mentioned there, and in some contexts, it's a strength, and wow, I'm really thankful for that personality trait. In this context, boy, that's a weakness, and I'm frustrated with that personality trait. So what that helps remind us is, is whether it's showing up as a strength or a weakness, remember that the trait itself is not inherently a weakness, right? It's just a trait from God that will also sometimes show up as a strength. And so to be thankful for that trait to the God behind it and, uh, and not to just get always frustrated when it shows up as a weakness. This also helps as you learn to capitalize on each other's strengths. So you know which context. You know what? This is a time when my wife has a strength, and so I'm going to defer to her and lean on her help. She's strong in this area, and I know I'm weak in this area, and so she'll be a great help. Or another context, this is a time where I need to step up. This is a strength of mine and a weakness of her, and so we can help each other in this way. So as you learn each other's strengths and weaknesses, it's a great opportunity to help. And that's what he means by that unification work, where you come together and in the right times, and the right places, you lean on the strengths of whichever partner uh, has that strength. Number five, admit where the differences challenge you to grow. One of the beautiful things about our differences is that sometimes we're really extreme in our trait, right? Um, you know, extremely cautious or extremely introverted or extremely extroverted, whatever you want to call it. And our spouse can help to balance that out a little bit, to help us grow and change, to see where maybe, wow, this trait has some sin tendencies over here, some pitfalls that I fall into. My spouse can really help me to bolster that up with her strength. Uh, and so there's a humility that comes with noticing our differences. Ooh, how can I learn and grow from what I'm seeing in my spouse? How can she help me bolster some of my weaknesses. Uh, so that's grace number one, that God is our designer. And so both of us reflect his glory in different ways, and we can be thankful for the ways that we're different. Grace number two is uh, the fact that God also has a specific plan for your marriage. So not only did he design each of you, but he brought you two together. So open briefly to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. This is uh, a sermon Paul preaches, not about marriage, so to speak, but has applications for it. It's actually, he's, he's sharing the gospel in Thessalonica. Uh, and this is a really cool sermon that he preaches uh, they have this unknown God, and he begins explaining uh, what the real God is like to them. Notice down in verse 24. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life to all, since, excuse me, since he gives to all life, breath, 
and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So a few things uh, that he highlights from that brief little section there. In verse 26, Paul says that God has determined our pre-appointed times and the boundaries of our dwelling. So in God's sovereign plan, he knows our, our time, when we will live, how long we will live, and he knows the boundaries of our dwellings. He knows exactly where we will live, right? So God is sovereign over even the details of our lives. Um, he gives a helpful illustration in the book about he and, how he and his wife came to there. Luella is her name. And, you know, it's this crazy series of circumstances, right? You can think about how you first met um, your spouse. Could you have planned all of that? Could you have arranged and controlled the details of how the two of you met and came together and got to know each other and ended up married? No, we, we just don't have that much control or authority or power. Which means that there's a sovereign God who's placed the two of you together. Uh, and that is important for us to understand. Meaning the specific differences that God joined you to are for your good, right? So the way that person is hardwired in their strengths and weaknesses and their traits are perfect for you. Don't mean that they're perfect, but that they're perfect for you. It's part of how God wanted to grow you and shape you. God has a sovereign plan in marriage. So number one, God is in absolute control of the details of our lives. He's in absolute control of the details of our lives. Number two, he has a purpose for the situations and locations in which he places us. What is God's purpose? Well, he wants to grow us into the image of Christ. Now, we often get into marriage because we want to be happy, right? I mean, how many of us can look back and say, yeah, I started dating and I got engaged and I got married because I wanted to be more like Jesus, right? I mean, probably out there that was a general goal, maybe, depending on where you're at in your life. Like, yes, generally, Lord, make me more like Jesus, but marriage, that's just going to be this really fun, happy thing, right? God's purpose for marriage is actually to make you like Jesus, right? That's why you're married. Uh, and so he's brought you together with this person with differences so that as your differences rub against one another, they sort of refine you both into the image of Christ. Not into each other's image, but into the image of Christ. And this is God's goal for marriage, that there would be struggle. He perfectly puts you with this person with differences so that there would be struggle. And in that refining process, you'd become more like Jesus. Now, think about James 1, right? Why do we have trials? Think about 1 Peter 1. Why do we go through trials? Because they, they make us more like Christ. Romans 5, another passage that talks about that, right? So we can have joy in the struggle because God's making us like Jesus. He puts it well on page 239. God is unwilling to rest, unwilling to leave you to yourself until every microbe of sin has been eradicated from every cell of your heart. So this is the thing he's working on in the here and now. He's working to rescue you from you, to deliver you from sin, and to form the character of Jesus in you. Number three, marriage is one of the primary tools that God uses 
for personal change and growth. Marriage is one of the primary tools God uses for personal change and growth. Why? Because we're with this person so much. They see us in our up times and our down times and uh, our stressed times and our happy times. And this person knows us better than most any person. And so that's what God often uses to grow us and change us. He mentions a few tools that God uses uh, to, to reveal and change our hearts. Number one, differences in personal hardwiring. So those are our traits. That's what he keeps referring to as hardwiring, right? Our, just our differences in personality. Um, those things will reveal ways we need to change in our hearts. Differences in viewpoints, instincts, and tastes. Sometimes that reveals idols in our hearts, right? We hold really tightly to something, and then we realize our spouse sees it a different way, and that's actually not a good thing. And, oh, I need to loosen my grip on that a little bit. It's not as important as I thought it was, and my spouse really helped me see that. Differences in personal sin and weakness and in our growth in grace. You and your spouse will grow at different rates at different times, right? God might be working on patience in your life, at the same time, sorry, Janice. At the same time, he's working on uh, anger in your spouse's life, right? And so you're growing and you're changing at different rates, at different times, and in different ways. So differences in personal sin, weakness, and growth. Number five, change begins when we see these differences as grace rather than obstructions of grace. So once we understand that God is using these differences to make me more like Jesus, I can actually be thankful for our differences because I know that God's going to use that difference to help me become more like Christ. Not become like her, she's not becoming like me, but to recognize that as there's that rub and we see things differently or we think differently or we, we desire differently, the opportunity there is for both of us to become more like Christ. To see that, whoa, actually my view of the world isn't the only view of the world. That my view of the world is probably not even right. And that rub can help us to move towards Christ in the midst of that. Number six, God is with you in your struggle. And so back to Acts chapter 17, verse 27 says it well. He is not far from each one of us. And this goes along with what we talked about Sunday uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, right? So as you face these struggles, there's a third person in the relationship whose traits, whose opinions, whose views are perfect, <laughs> right? So you both have the Spirit of God in you who has all the right answers. And so as that rub comes up and there's this awareness like, oh, maybe I'm not seeing the world perfectly, Here's somebody I trust and respect who sees it differently than me. Let's look to God with the help of His Holy Spirit to see what the right answer is, to see how we grow and change through this. So God is with us in the midst of that struggle. That leads us to chapter 14 called Before Dark. Did you guys get all the blanks here before I move off that? All right. Chapter 14, Before Dark. So those are some pr perspectives on the sovereignty of God and how he's designed your spouse, how he has a plan for your marriage to make you more like Christ that help us um, be patient with those differences. 
In chapter 14, he talks uh, more specifically about how we then we work through those differences. So number one, face reality, face reality. And here he references scripture, the fact that the Bible is brutally honest about sin. I mean, think about it. Scripture does not paint a pretty picture about our sin, right? Uh, You can read about horrendous acts of violence and murder and adultery and you name it in scripture, right? It's not holding back about the filth of our sin. At the same time, scripture is incredibly hopeful, right? It looks to a savior who can save us from our sin. And so he uses that juxtaposition of the Bible's honesty as well as its hopefulness to remind us that when we face differences, we don't have to run in fear We don't have to hide from the challenges of sin. We can be honest and at the same time hopeful because there's a Savior who can help us with those things. We don't have to pretend uh, that things are just okay. We can face reality unafraid. Number two, deal honestly with your anger. He had sort of a funny illustration here. Uh, This is a made-up scenario, so I'm not thinking of anybody here. You suspect your wife is angry because there is more pot and pan percussion than normal as she is preparing dinner. You go into the kitchen and ask her what is wrong. She replies rather sharply, nothing's wrong. You respond, honey, I think you're angry about something. So she replies, I'm not angry. It makes me so mad when you accuse me of being angry. I'm just trying to get dinner on the table. It would be helpful if you would leave me alone and let me do what I need to do. You say, I think we need to talk. And she replies as she turns her back on you, you don't want to talk to me right now. So we don't like to admit our sin, do we? We don't like to confess when we're blind to things like our anger. And he picks on the wife there, but there's any number of scenarios we could describe about the husband as well, couldn't we? Uh, so Ephesians chapter 4 is a helpful passage, and we'll be, you can stay open to Ephesians 4 uh, as we go through the rest of chapter 14. We'll look at a few things, but for this point, looking at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So three ideas here. Letter A, do not give way to sin. Do not give way to sin. As soon as you've got that sense, oh, I've become angry, that's the time to stop it, to say no, to hold back. You have God's Spirit, you have that fruit, self-control, right? You have the power to say no to sin. So as soon as there's that self-awareness, oh, I am angry, whether that's your husband's words coming to you, your wife's words coming to you, or just God's Spirit kind of opening your eyes to see it, hmm, I think I'm angry. It's time to say no to sin. And you can do it right then and there. Uh, And that's kind of the idea of this. As you're angry, say no to sin. Don't give way to sin. Letter B, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, he really emphasizes this one in the book. I just want to be careful with that a little bit. This is not a law. This is not a command. I think it's a, a great principle, right? that if, if there's something between you and your spouse, if sin has come up, try to deal with it that day. But on the other hand, there are times when that might not be wise, right? Let's say your spouse has already gone to bed and you're you know, still awake and you're mulling something over and it's like, ooh, you know what? 
I think we need to take care of this. And so you go up and you shake your spouse awake and you're like, hey, we need to talk about this. And they're, you know, kind of trying to figure out what's going right. So you know, there are scenarios where it's like, hey, all right, we just plan to talk about this tomorrow. Or you're both so exhausted, you're falling asleep while you're trying to talk about it, right? There, there are times when it's like, okay, all right, let's set a time tomorrow at dinner or breakfast or whatever it is. We're, we're going to work through this. We're going to talk about this. Um, but I also think it's a, it's a helpful general rule to say as much as possible, we're not going to go to bed uh, without talking about these things. If one of us is upset, if one of us is angry, we're committed to working through it. And that leads to the third one. When we don't do that, when we let things fester, verse 27, we give place to the devil. We give opportunity for bitterness to grow. He has a really helpful quote here. Um, it's amazing how if you give hurt and anger time, they will grow even though nothing further has happened. Right? Anger and bitterness grow on their own. And that's why they have to be dealt with and uprooted as soon as possible. <clears throat> Number three talks about communicating in ways that are wholesome. And so here you have Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word, or the word there is unwholesome, word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification and it may impart grace to the hearers again three things here we want to communicate in ways that build up we want to communicate in ways that are appropriate that fit the moment so that's where you get into the timing of certain things is this a good time to talk about this and we want to communicate in ways that give grace to the hearer you know, sometimes we don't think about the fact that our words are a way of serving others. We use our words very, very selfishly, and our words are actually a service to others. We're often lazy in the way we communicate. Did you know that even working to be clear with someone is a way to serve them? Uh, we're often lazy. We just kind of say, well, hey, I said it. It's not my fault if you didn't understand, right? Uh, working to communicate tactfully or respectfully is a service. It takes labor on my part, yes, and I can be lazy and just say, well, hey, I said what needed to be said. I was honest. But am I serving that person with my words? Am I giving grace in the way that I spoke? So that's an important one in our marriages. Wholesome communication, building up, giving grace. Am I serving my spouse in the way I'm talking? Number four, run to your resources. You guys all caught up on the blanks. I don't mean to go too fast here, but run to your resources. And what he means in this chapter is the church. You see that in all four points there. You have four things that he mentions. You probably have more things than this, but he mentions four. You have wise brothers and sisters who can help you. If you're at a point, a difference with your spouse that you're having trouble working through, reach out to someone. The likelihood is, though we're all different, another couple in the church has probably experienced the same kind of difference. My spouse is this and I'm this. What did you guys do? How did you work through it? Teaching and preaching. Sit under the word of God regularly and have a tender heart as you listen to the scriptures. The ordinances of the church, so this is baptism and communion. 
As we see others baptized, we're reminded, am I living up to the commitment I made when I was baptized? Am I living for Christ, walking in newness of life like I committed to doing? Communion is kind of the ongoing reminder. Am I walking in fellowship with Christ and my other believers? And then the fellowship of your local church, getting together, talking with another, small groups, classes like this, where you can interact, pray together, share burdens, help each other. Number five, resist the lies of the enemy. He points out two specific lies. First, it's not your fault. And second, you don't have enough. The first one, we make ourselves uh, self-righteous, right? I didn't do anything wrong. This isn't my fault. And we blame everybody else. We blame God. We blame our spouse. And all our problems are outside of us. They've happened to us rather than having any accountability ourselves. Secondly, you don't have enough. This is the victim mentality. Uh, We're discontent rather than thankful. We minimize our sin and we doubt God's provision. Number six, create something new. God has intended your lives to become so fundamentally intertwined, so beautifully woven together in every way, and so much a reflection of a daily commitment to cooperation that the only term that could be used for your union is one flesh. God has made something new. Now it's our turn to do the same thing, to stop holding on tightly to our differences, but allowing our differences to refine us both into the image of Christ, appreciating the ways God has made us differently, Um, helping each other with our strengths, bearing up under each other in our weaknesses, uh, and becoming ultimately one flesh. He closes the chapter with a couple notes of hope, and I want to read these to you. These are on page 259. Your King and Savior is at work, even when you have given up. He loves you even when you don't have sense enough to love one another or to love Him in return. He's working outside of you to produce in you a sense of need and working inside you to give you what you need. Your hope of a long-term loving marriage is found in one place, God's love for you. Admit that you need it and then give yourself to celebrating that this God of love has brought you and your spouse together for his glory and your good. And remember, he will not call you to a task without giving you in his grace what you need to do it. So there's hope. As we face these differences, God is working through us in it. All right, you've got some closing discussion questions there at the bottom of the third page. Um, the sixth one leads into the fourth page, the back page. And there you've got a little chart uh, with different traits that may or may not be hardwired into us to varying degrees. This is a fun activity. If you have time to do it with your spouse tonight, you are welcome to. Uh, Could be a great thing to do at home at some point. But uh, choose a letter. In the instructions, I put M and S. M for me, S for spouse. And uh, sort of rate each other where you're at on the spectrum in each of those categories. 
And it's just a helpful way to sort of reveal uh, where your strengths and weaknesses are, where you're different, where you're alike, and how you can be a help to one another. So that might be a fun discussion point for you. The bulleted points under question six are some things you could discuss together after going through that chart. Uh, One through five, you could even begin discussing tonight uh, in groups, uh, thinking through some positive qualities of your spouse, giving thanks for those things, how they balance out your weaknesses. So uh, yeah, I'd encourage you. I'm, I'm done talking, and so you have seven or eight minutes left. Do you have a question? Is there number seven? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Humbly admit your ongoing struggle. Thanks. Humbly admit your ongoing struggle. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Find, find somebody to discuss with. If your spouse is not here, find someone else you can talk with. Go through a few of these as far as you get tonight, and that chart is hopefully a fun activity for you to do together and see your differences. So let me close in prayer, and then you can uh, start working on those. Father, we thank you for our time together tonight. We do thank you for creating us with differences, each of us. Uh, This is important in the body of Christ, because in our differences, we see uh, what the Lord Jesus is like. And so help us in our marriages to appreciate the ways you've made us differently, and uh, to submit to your plan as we seek to become more like Jesus in our marriages. We thank you and we praise you in his name. Amen. Okay, go ahead and uh, enjoy some discussion.